Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Bibles uh, or your Bible app, whatever you prefer, open up with me to Luke chapter 24 uh, for today's message. It's going to be the text that we look at today. Um, We're continuing our fall series, DNA, Knowing Who We Are. And like we've talked about, uh, DNA are, are those things that like the, the family kind of looks alike. You know those families who are like, oh, you are all related. Like everyone's unique in their own way, but we share those, those genetic things that make us family. And it's the same for the, the church community, the followers of Jesus. Um, we have a lot of uniqueness in all of our lives, but there's some similarities when you start to spend time around God's family. And one of those DNA things that we talked about last week was uh, the scriptures, the word of God, that uh, following and obeying uh, God's word is fundamental to all true success. And prior to that, we talked about lost people matter to God. He wants them found. We talked about gospel communities uh, and living in that that kind of community is foundational for how we live out this way of following Jesus. So all of those things are, are a part of DNA. And last week we talked about the, the word of God and following it. Remember we talked about Psalm 1, how uh, the, the person who is really truly prosperous in life, successful, who is full of fruitfulness, they're a person who is meditating on God's word day and night. And, and they're like a tree that's planted by a river. They're just soaking up all that nutrients. They're fruitful. Their life is abundant. That's what it looks like to be a person who is just uh, meditating and enjoying and and thinking on and praying on God's word. Um, So that's what we talked about last week. But because the Bible can be so misunderstood and so confusing, um, we felt like it was important to take an extra week and just slow down on this topic of the word of God. Um, uh, For some of you, the Bible probably could feel really intimidating. Does it feel intimidating to any of you? I brought my print Bible up today because usually I just keep the notes I need on my iPad. But like there's really thin pages and really small print. It's over a thousand pages. Mine, some are more, some are less, depending on how big or small the print is. But they're, they're big. These are not small things. It's not like uh, beach reading for the weekend, right? This, this is like, this is, this is heavy stuff. So it can be really intimidating. Like, where do I start? How do I know what's going on? Who's this person? Why'd they kill that person? It, it, there's weird stories in the Bible too. What do we do with all these weird stories? How am I supposed to deal with this? Um, and, and then others of us, we've been in the church maybe our whole lives and, and maybe find the Bible intimidating or maybe like we've been around so long we're like, I feel like I should get this by now, but something's just not making sense. This is not clicking for me the way I thought it would. Or maybe you're, you're still having questions about just something seems inconsistent or incoherent. Like, what am I missing? And so because of that, we wanted to take an extra week, not just to say, hey, the Bible is really good and it's going to make your life really full and prosperous. You should obey it. How about we actually take a week to just slow down and understand what the heck's in here? What are we reading? 
what is this all about? So today's gonna be probably a little bit more instructional, a little bit more gonna feel like a teaching um, than something maybe inspirational. I hope you pull something out of it that's encouraging. But I wanna give you some very, very practical things about reading the Bible uh, that will hopefully help you in, in different ways. Just get some insight on, okay, now, now I can start to like get a l- make a little more sense of what it is I'm doing here when I, when I open up this book. Sound good? So Jesus actually gives us some amazing insight into how to read the Bible in Luke chapter 24. This is after Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's alive and his disciples are freaking out because all they know is his body's gone. What happened? This guy that was supposed to do all these amazing things for Israel to save the world, he's dead now and now his body's missing. We don't know what's going on. we're embarrassed, we're scattered, they're all running and hiding, they're trying to get out of Jerusalem as fast as they can, um, like, because they don't want to be the next on the hit list, and so uh, Jesus's followers are scattered, and and we're going to read verses 24 to 27, and then we're going to jump down and read verses 44 to 48, and in 25 to 27, two of Jesus's disciples are trying to get out of Dodge, they're on their way to this town called Emmaus, and uh, there, Jesus is going to meet them on the road, but they have no idea it's Jesus. They don't recognize him, it says. So we're going to read that. And then what's going to happen after that is uh, they're going to find out it's Jesus. And they're going to run back to Jerusalem to tell Peter and James and all those guys. And then Jesus is just going to show up and appear to them. And, and, and so that's what's going to be part of, of what we read. So the first little bit here is Jesus meeting these two disciples on the road to a town called Emmaus. And the second one is with Jesus with all these disciples. And he's going to kind of say a version of the same thing twice here. But it's in this chapter 24 of Luke. And it's going to help us to understand how we read the Bible. So let's, let's read this together here. Um, my clicker working? I'm having trouble now. Why don't you just follow along there for me, Faith? Let's look at verse, uh, 24, uh, chapter 24, verse 25. Let's read this. It says, Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then we'll skip down to verse 44, and Jesus is talking again to all these disciples in this room where he appeared to them. Then he said, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. Let's pray. Jesus, as we spend a little extra time uh, in your word today, understanding your word, I pray that you would do for us just as you did for your disciples that day, that you would open up our minds to understand the scriptures. I pray for new understanding, Holy Spirit, for our church, new insight, new knowledge, 
to understand what you have to say to us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So these two stories, like I mentioned, the first interaction Jesus has is with these disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they're confused. We don't understand what just happened. This didn't go to plan. And Jesus says, hey, this was all written about. And then he appears to those disciples plus the, his, his, his kind of main group of, of disciples. And he says, hey, listen, this was all written about. He says it in two different ways. And, and Jesus here, clearly these disciples had no idea how to really understand the scriptures. Now, they were raised in a Jewish culture. So they would have been in the synagogue every weekend. They, they would have learned the scriptures, memorized large portions of what they had. The scriptures at that time were just the Old Testament. That's the Hebrew Bible. None of the New Testament had been written yet. And, and there, so when Jesus is referring to the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. And so they're reading this, and they, they, they've been reading this their whole lives, and they, and they don't understand. Jesus had to connect the dots for them more fully, open their minds to understand what they were reading. And Jesus gives us, in this passage, three really incredible insights from his interactions with his disciples about how to understand the Bible. And so I want to unpack these three insights from what Jesus talked about. And the first one is this, number one, the Bible is one big story about Jesus. Nice and simple. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you're like, this is not that amazing or revolutionary, Andrew. But let's unpack what this means a little bit more. We, we think about this in verse 27. He says, it says, then Jesus took them through the writings, explaining from some of the scriptures. No, he said all the scriptures. He's, he went through all the scriptures explaining the things concerning himself. So he's unpacking things from Genesis all the way to, like in, the, in our Christian Bibles, it ends in Micah. The, the Hebrew Bible, it was ordered a little bit differently. But from Genesis all the way to Micah, he's unpacking everything in there. And see, this is about me, and this about me, and see how this explains the story, and this explains the story. So the Bible's one big story about Jesus. Stories are incredibly powerful. In fact, your brain and my brain are actually hardwired to learn best through stories than through anything else. Did you know that? Uh, when, when I uh, am preaching, if I do not do a good job having stories in, in, in my messages, uh, it, it's actually harder for you to get what I'm saying. Illustrations and stories with like a point at the end of it are much more grabbable for us in our brains than just saying, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then on this date, this happened. We're, we're not necessarily hardwired for facts and figures the way we are for story. But story also informs the way we live our life. Whatever story we think we are living out is the story that we are going to behave in. So let me give you an example. I've used this before. Uh, and our, our life group actually has been going through this as well. When we talk about living the story. So uh, what happens when you graduate from high school? What's supposed to happen? Get a job or go to college, right? There's two, we've got a couple of paths here. What happens after that? You learn a trade or you go to college. What's, what's next? You go to work. You get married. If uh, you went to a Christian college, they would joke you needed a ring by spring. Uh, that's how they work there. Uh, it's, don't, no, I'm not going to go down that road. Uh, 
And then after you, you work, how long are you supposed to work till? 65, 62, 70, 70, somewhere in there. And then what happens? You retire. What do you do in retirement? Have tons of fun, all the stuff you didn't get to do because you were working so hard. And then what happens? You die. And all the fun's over. I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious. But, but you get my, like, how did you know that story? How did you all have like the same answer to that? Because you've lived it. This is the story of the American way. It's the American dream. Going to come here for better opportunity. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to retire well. And I'm going to pass on something better to my children. Part of what, this is a little bit of an aside, but part of why there's so much uh, stress and fear right now around the economy is because now generations are not naturally wealthier than the previous generations. It's getting harder. So people are like, the American dream's collapsing. Our narrative, our story is falling apart. There's nuance to that, of course. I'm just painting with a broad brush, but you get my point. So we have stories, and some of our families have stories. Uh, some some uh, family stories are, well, you have to either be a doctor or a lawyer. Some, it's very specific, right? Uh, well, no, oh, they're going to be an artist. Oh, their life is over. <laughs> they're going to be a musician. They're never going to have work. Like, you know, and, but we have these pre-programmed stories about what's important and what matters in life and where we find meaning right? These, these big narratives and big stories tell us what matters and what doesn't. And we could talk about that all day, but here's what the Bible is doing. The Bible is telling a story, not just a nice story, a fairy tale story. It's telling the kind of story that we're supposed to insert ourselves into and make that the primary narrative that we live our lives out of and informs our lives. And it's very different from how every single one of us grew up. I grew up in the church, and it's different than the narrative that I, was raised, than I was raised with. It's very different from our cultural narrative. And, and so the, we have to learn how to live out the story that Jesus has in the Bible. So the Bible is one big story about Jesus. It's not just like, you know, very simple, hey, follow Jesus, the end. It's a little more complicated than that, right? What happens in all of these pages? So basically, here, here's what the Bible's doing. It's telling us a context, God made this amazingly beautiful, good creation. He put humans here, multiply, flourish, make the earth this incredible garden place and we'll be together forever. But then there was a problem. Like any good story, there's a problem, right? Humanity decides, you know, I could probably do this better. I have a better way of doing this on my own. And not only did people rebel, we see in the text that spiritual beings rebelled as well. And so there's this war against God and all of his goodness. And every, this is basically what Genesis 1 through Genesis 11 is about. Every social ill, every uh, sickness, biological problem, every economic problem, every political problem, every issue that you can find in families and relationships across the board, it all comes out of this. And it's unpacking the layers of that problem on a family level, individual level, and then like on the level of like a whole empire or a whole city. See how these things cause problems in all these ways. And this is due to the issues of the fall and sin. So that's the problem. God made this amazing place. We're like, we're going to do our own thing. Then finally, there's a plan. God still wants to do his original thing. And so he's going to redeem creation and he's going to redeem those who have been lost through an anointed one. 
through someone that the, the, in the first century, in Jesus's time, they began to refer to as the Messiah, this anointed figure. They were reading the Old Testament texts in Jesus's day and saying, we're, there's someone that's supposed to save us. And in the time of Jesus, there were different people that they thought were going to save them. They would rebel against um, the Roman Empire. They set up their own kingdom for a time period. They thought that person was the Messiah, but then he died and then the whole thing collapsed. And, and there were all these different people in that time. So the, the, the Jewish people are living this as their story in real time, in real life, going, who is going to rescue us and bring us back to that good thing that God started? And, and so living this kind of story gives people a sense of meaning. It, it gives us a sense of purpose, a sense of direction, a sense of hope. But what Jesus did was he clarified how that story was to be lived out in a way that people in his day were not getting. So he opened their minds to the scriptures. How was the saving going to happen? It wasn't going to be through military conquest. It was going to be laying down their lives. And so this is the story, and these kinds of stories give us a sense of meaning. And when Jesus is, is saying that, look, you have to look in the law, you have to look in the prophets and look in the Psalms, that's just shorthand for the whole Old Testament. That's how they refer to it. When they mean Psalms, they don't actually just mean the Psalms, they mean all of the writings. So there's like three sections of the Old Testament, not to get too nerdy, uh, but there's like the Law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. There's all the prophet writings and the books of kings and everything like that. And then the writings are like Psalms, First and Second Chronicles, um, books like, uh, now I'm drawing a blank, uh, books like... Um, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, just writings, this collection of wisdom. And, and through all of these, God's saying, Jesus is saying through all of these books in the Old Testament, you could just close your eyes, open it up to some random place in the Old Testament, and you're, he's saying, this is about me. This whole story is about me, and you need to immerse yourself in this if you're going to get the story that I'm calling you to live in. And then the New Testament comes along and it, it, it continues that story. Okay, because Jesus is who he is and you're following him and you're immersing yourself in this story, here's more clarification on how you should live in the power of the Holy Spirit today. And that's kind of what the, the New Testament is unpacking. So just a general overview of the, New of the Old Testament, New Testament from beginning to end. If you could advance that slide for me, please. Um, and these are just gonna go through one at a time. You can think of the story roughly like this. Creation, where things started. Good creation. Uh, fall, when everyone started rebelling. Uh, covenants with Israel, it starts with Abraham in Genesis 12 and goes all through all the kings. Okay, let's establish a new agreement between God and his people. But that all falls apart and they're exiled. They don't do it right and they are taken from the land. They're, they're punished for disobeying God. They're taken to Babylon, but then they repent. They're there for 70 years and a remnant of that returns. And they begin anticipating a future hope. They realize that they need to be waiting for this Messiah. And then that takes them to this redemption inauguration. This is when Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to redeem all things and say, the kingdom of heaven is near. It's near, it's closer than you think. The God, God's good way that he intended for the earth to be is here. And Jesus begins displaying that good life out of his life. 
And then he invites all of us into it through his death, his resurrection on the cross, through the sending of the Holy Spirit into the church. And this is the time that the scripture stops. But in the book of Revelation, you go to the last one, and and some other places throughout the, the New Testament, we talk about what's called consummation. And this is when heaven and earth are reunited just the way they were at the beginning. There's a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus returns. The dead who have followed Jesus are raised from the dead, and there's a new life. Now, does this sound like your story or does this sound like a foreign story to you? Especially when you get to the end weird part about a new heaven and a new earth and people being raised from the dead and all that. It, it, it's almost like, you know what I'm talking about? Like it sounds, you can be honest. Or there's, I, it, there's no one in this room that's like, no, this sounds pretty normal to me. This is crazy, but this is the story that you and I are invited to inform everything we do. Can you imagine if this story informed your decision-making for your life? What kind of decisions would you make differently? Can you imagine if this story informed the way you go about relationships? How would it change the way you do relationships? If, if this really impacted you, it'd probably be forgiveness would be a lot of a, a different thing, wouldn't it? You wouldn't want to hold on to bitterness. Things change because of the story that we think matters and the story that we think is important. And the constant challenge for the the guys that were on the road to Emmaus, for the disciples in the room, our challenge today is, is this going to be our story? Are we going to live out the story of Jesus? Are we going to make his story our story? Are we going to make what's in here the thing that we're living our life by? So the key question here, when when you're reading the Bible and you want to understand it, you can go to the next slide. When we're reading the Bible, if we want to understand it, the question is, whatever I open up to, whatever I'm reading today, ask yourself the question, how does what I'm reading describe or inform some aspect of the story of Jesus. Okay, when I'm reading about in Leviticus that I can't put a new patch on an old piece of clothing, what is that telling me? What does that mean? And you're going to have to like dig and you're going to have to pray and you're going to have to ask God and you're going to have to seek people who know what that's all about in context. It takes a little work. But there's something in there, believe it or not, that is going to help you see the big picture. I don't actually know what it is right now. You're going you're gonna to figure it out. So how, how does that describe the story of Jesus? Or how does it describe your old story? Oh, yeah, I was there. How does it describe your new story? Yes, I experienced this kind of freedom. So that's the first thing. When you're opening up the Bible, how does what I'm reading describe some aspect of this story of Jesus. That's the first insight that Jesus gives us. The whole scripture is about him. It's one big story about him. Second insight, number two. Uh, The Bible is a collection of writings. It's a collection of books. It's a collection of literary styles that weave together to tell the story. Now, why does that matter? Why does that matter that we say that? Um, Uh, You may have heard said, the the Bible is my instruction manual for life. It's my manual for living. I get that, and I I kind of appreciate that sentiment. Like, I don't want some other manual to be my manual for life. But when I think of a manual, like, I think of I just got a new desk from Ikea that I need to put together. 
And, and in, a, in a, a, a manual from Ikea, how many of you hate yourself when you put together furniture from Ikea? How many of you, some of you love it, some of you are like, I'm going to burn Ikea to the ground. And, and you're opening up the manual, and here's how manuals work, in case you weren't aware. Uh, step one, you do this. Step two, you do this. Step three, you do this, and this will happen, guaranteed, as long as you did step one, two, and three, exactly how I said. How many of you know life doesn't work like that? I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that, and I think this is going to happen, and then you go here, and the opposite happens. That's called life, right? Sometimes it works, and, and Proverbs kind of is that collection of wisdom that say, hey, if all things are working perfectly, this is how it will go. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Sometimes children, when they reach a certain age, start making their own decisions that aren't good. You can't control that. Right, but but there's so there's things where it doesn't really work like an instruction manual, but there's another thing about this that's important. Um, you don't read an IKEA manual the same re- way you read a newspaper, do you? You're not looking for step-by-step instructions when you read a newspaper, are you? Or when you're scrolling through Facebook or something, you're reading that differently than you'll read a newspaper, or hopefully you're reading it differently than a newspaper, uh, or, or you read it differently than you would an Ikea manual, right? Or if you're thumbing through a catalog from, we just got like Amazon's sending Christmas catalogs now. How bizarre is that? It's like a blast from the past. And you look through that. You're going to read and look through that differently than you're going to look through something else. You're going to read a history textbook or a novel at the beach differently from each other, right? Where am I going with this? Like, you're not going to look at that novel that you're reading and find life advice in there when you're just doing a a fun beach read, right? Maybe you're finding life advice in there. I don't know. Let's talk if you're doing that. I want to pray for you. I'm just joking. But but you hear what I'm saying, right? You're going to read these differently. Well, the, the scriptures, the Bible, is a collection of different kinds of writing. It's not all just we read through it and I, I can just have my brain thinking the same way the whole time. There's different kinds of writing styles. So just three main writing styles. I'll explain each of these briefly. If you could advance the slide, please. The first one's narrative. This is almost half of the Bible. Narrative is stories. Johnny wanted to play ball. He picked up his ball. He went to the field. But the field was reserved, so he couldn't use it. So he went down the street sad until a friend invited him to another field, and Johnny was happy. It's a narrative, right? And we're familiar with narrative. There's all sorts of different ways to tell narratives. There's different ways that narratives work in the Bible. But generally, you've got this style that's called narrative. And large portions of Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Esther, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are all narratives. And, and it's telling a story, kind of this person went here and did this. They felt this way. These people responded strongly to them. It's telling a story. But there's other ways to tell a story, too, that are not narrative. The second way is poetry. Did you know poetry is about 30% of the Bible? Roughly, on average, one and out of every three chapters of the Bible that you read is poetry. How many of you just love reading poetry? You just pick up a book of poems on the weekend and just start... Not, not a lot of us do that. Not a lot of us do that, right? Some of us really love that, but not a lot of people are just like, oh, I was reading this great book of poems the other day. And, but for those of us who do love that, you're going to love the poetry of the Bible. Uh, but, but poems come, come in a lot of different uh, of categories. There's songs. Like we said last week, there's the book of Psalms. Those are all songs. Those are lyrics that we've lost the melodies to. Um, 
There's other songs, like in the book of Exodus. I'm going to give you an example of one in a minute. There's songs in there. Uh, there, are, there are wisdom literature, Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. It's, it's written in this poetical language. And, and, and these books are full of rich symbolism. How many of you know you should not take these literally? Poems have deep, rich symbols, and you need to understand what's, what is that symbolism about? What did this object mean to the writers in this time, in this culture? Because that, that means something differently than I think it means to me in, in my day and age. And so understanding poetry and poetic symbolism becomes important. You're going to read that very differently than you read a narrative. Um, then the final one is called Prose Discourse. And this is speeches, letters, essays. It's very logical for all of our logical friends. This is the, if you do this, then you should do this. If Jesus has done this, then you should live your life this way. This is what most of the letters in the New Testament are. Uh, Deuteronomy is, is Moses' speech to Israel before he dies and they go into the promised land. There, there are these uh, discourses where it's very logical and if you do this, this will happen. If you don't do this, a different thing will happen. It, it's very kind of straightforward in that way. That's why a lot of, I think, American churches, Western churches, because we're very kind of logical, rational, we read a lot of, we spend a lot of time reading Paul and reading letters to the church because it's like a style that we can kind of wrap our head around a little bit better. It's a lot harder to wrap our heads around poetry sometimes, right? And so we're really afraid to kind of go there and read that. But prose discourse is another kind. Um, uh, and I, I mentioned, I forgot to say one other thing with, with poetry, the, the songs, the wisdom, but also most of the books of the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, there's some narrative mixed in there, but it's a lot of poetry with those. So here's the thing. You've got these three main styles of writing, narrative, poetry, prose discourse. When you're reading the Bible, like I said, this is going to be a little more teachy today. You guys staying with me okay? Okay. But um, no book, for the most part, maybe except for the Psalms, no book has like a single style of writing. Okay? So here, let me, let me pull an example out. If you've got ex, uh, Exodus 15, go ahead and open that up real quick. If, you, if you're quick to the draw and you want to open that up real quick or if you can Google it really fast. Exodus 14 ends this epic story of Israel's getting out of Egypt. They're escaping. God split the Red Sea. Uh, if you've seen Charlton Heston do this, then you know what I'm talking about. Um, and, and they get through, and the Red Sea closes on the Egyptian army. Pharaoh's killed. They're all drowned. God's enemies are destroyed. These people who are in slavery are free. And, and we're, they're telling this amazing narrative story, and it closes with this in chapter 14, verse 31. And when the Is Israelites saw the great power... The Lord displayed against the Egyptians. The people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And then uh, chapter 15, verse 1 says this. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. What's about to happen? It's poetry now. It's not going to be something to read literally as a narrative. And so you want to find those moments and those clues when you're reading to say, oh, the style switched. Or if you see so-and-so got up before the people and said, and then there's a really long paragraph, oh, that's a speech. This is, a this is prose discourse. This is a different kind of writing. Uh, you ever read um, 
Beowulf, any of you have to read Beowulf? Or you've read, maybe the Lord of the Rings is an even better one if you've read that, right? Uh, Within these like epic books, like the Lord of the Rings, I haven't read it since I was like in high school or middle school or something, but they don't just tell the story of them bringing the, the ring to Mount Doom. They, they stop and, and they're sitting around a fire and someone's singing a song of long ago about this elf that did whatever. Uh, something, something weird. You know what I'm talking about in general though, right? But why is that, what does that have to do with the story? That doesn't matter. Just get the ring, throw it in there. Let's finish the story. That's, that's our kind of like go, go, go kind of, it's that New York and New Jersey kind of, can you get to the point, please? I want the Reader's Digest version. Uh, but, but what we're getting there, it's part of the story in the sense that we're getting a bigger insight into the world of Middle Earth. We're getting a, a, we're getting a broader perspective on how, how serious and how massive and how big this undertaking is that they're going. There's all this history behind it. And usually it had some kind of connection to what they were doing. And any good literature does that. They don't just, you know, start this other epic poem within this story just for random sake. There's some real, authors have real intent in the things that they put in there because it's shedding light and different kinds of themes and meanings on the characters that you're following through this journey, right? And so the the Bible works the same way. The people who wrote this, inspired by God, this is totally 100% inspired by God, but the writers who did this were brilliant and they were so sophisticated. And here's how we know God's hand was in this. We're gonna get into this more in a minute. This was written over the course of 3,000 years. It's amazing. And and you're gonna see why this is so amazing in just a minute uh, when we get to our next point. But my my point here, because I'm getting a little off track because this is awesome and very interesting. Uh, But you see when you're reading through, there's gonna be different kinds of styles. So here's the key question you need to ask whenever you are reading the scriptures. You need to ask yourself this key question. What kind of literature am I reading right now? Is this a narrative? Let the story unfold. Maybe you need to ask yourself, okay, this is a narrative. Do I need some more context to know why they're so worried about this in this story? Or why was that so bad? Why was that such a big deal? You might need some more context. Uh, Are you reading poetry? Am I reading poetry right now? Good thing to, to follow up with is what kind of imagery is in here? What did this imagery mean to the original writers, to the original audience that was hearing this? What'd that mean? And then finally, prose discourse. This is like, am I reading prose discourse? Am I reading a speech? Am I reading someone's letter? Uh, Like the Apostle Paul's letters in the New Testament. Is that what I'm reading right now? When when you're reading prose discourse, one of the things you might want to ask yourself is, is there any terminology in here that I'm not understanding and I'm just supposed to like know what it is and I don't know what it is. Paul uses this term, the flesh, in a lot of his writings in the New Testament. He's not talking about a hunk of your skin. He's using that terminology to encompass kind of the whole part of the story where we are broken, we're fallen, it's our old nature. The flesh is the old way of living. Living in the spirit is the new way of living. How that, and you can hear, do you hear the story reflected in that even? The flesh is the old way. So we need to understand if you're reading speeches or essays, are they using any funny terminology here that I'm like, why is he saying that? Why why do they keep writing that? Why do they keep saying that word? And so you want to ask yourself, what kind of literature are, am I reading right now as you're going through this? And this will help you um, figure out how to read what you read. 
because you're going to read an Ikea instruction manual differently than you're going to read a newspaper, differently than you're going to read a novel on the beach. So that's our second insight there. And we see that as Jesus is laying out all of the different types of scripture, right? The law, the prophets, the Psalms, all these different styles. He said, they're all telling this story and they're weaving together to tell the story. And this all leads us to our our final insight this morning. Number three, the Bible is ancient Jewish meditation literature. Okay, then. Thank you for that. What is that? What is ancient Jewish meditation literature? What is that? Okay. Here's the best way to explain what this is. Um, Here's what you open up your Bible. Just page one. Just take a quick peek. Page one, we've got Genesis, right? Okay. It doesn't say on page one, okay, so God tried to do this good thing. People messed it up. In a few thousand years, this guy's going to come during the Roman Empire. His name's Jesus. Don't worry. Everything's going to be fine then, and then there'll be a, a, a whole new place to live. You can move on with your life now. The story doesn't do that, does it? It doesn't give everything away within like a sentence. There's no Cliff Notes version here, right? It slowly is unraveling this story. What, does someone have a favorite novel? Our readers in the room. Does anyone have a favorite novel they love to read? Just shout it out. Withering Heights. What else? Foundation Trilogy. What else? What is that one? I've never heard of that one. Codex Alera. Um, Harry Potter. There we go. Who else? Not a lot of novel readers. Or you just can't think of one that right, that right now. That's okay. Any good writing that you've read, they don't give away the ending right at the beginning, do they? Do you want that in a book? Is that what you're there for? No, like you're, you're there to kind of like sit in something, right? Now, now think about that idea, but like take it, like multiply it by like a, a billion. That's how densely and slowly the biblical story unpacks itself. It slowly unravels and it uses very minimal description. If you'll notice, like there's a lot of things missing from Genesis 1. Where'd these people come from? Did they start out as babies and then grow into adults? Like, where did this snake come from? Why was he there in the first place? Did did they let him into the garden? Did God let him into the garden? Why did God put two trees? Why did you just put the one tree so they didn't have this whole problem to begin with? I could keep going. And you've probably had great questions like this when you go, why were they doing this? This is so dumb. And and you'll read it or you'll be like, that was amazing. Okay, all of those questions that I just asked are exactly what the writers of the Bible want you to be asking. Maybe not the one about why didn't they start as babies or something like that, but maybe you could ask that one too. I don't know. But all of these stories, all of these questions are intentional because they don't give a lot of detail on purpose. Because they're trying to invite you in to seek God more in the midst of the text to say, God, what was this about? And it's a little cryptic. And and so, but things get slowly unraveled and unfolded as you go. And that's why when you come to Jesus going, all right, I'm going to open your mind so you understand the scriptures. This was all pointing to me all along. And teaching you about this world that was supposed to be good. Teaching you about the depths of depravity that the world is actually in right now. We don't understand how broken and fractured it was because we don't understand how good it was. And then finally, how deep 
and full and complete his redemption work is. All of these things are found in the text. So it's slowly unraveling, unraveling. This is what it means to have Jewish meditation literature. When, when you are meditating on literature like this, it's meant to be slowly chewed on. I can't comprehend everything about this book in a weekend at the beach. It's meant to be slowly read over a lifetime. And you slowly get things. How many of you have read the Bible through at least one or two times and you come back to something you've read before and you go, I never noticed that before. Jewish meditation literature. You will always, your entire life, I guarantee you, you will never find the bottom of what God has for you in this book because it's not just about reading words on a page and knowing what it says. It is inviting you deeper and deeper into an encounter with the living Jesus himself. And so here's what happens. Uh, the, this complex book needs to be read slowly. Uh, you go to the next slide. I just want to show you why this is so complex and why it takes so long to meditate on. Does anyone know what this is? This is so cool. You see these little white lines and gray lines at the bottom that are sticking down? That is every single chapter in the Bible. So just imagine from Genesis on the left all the way to Revelation all the way on the right, every single chapter in the Bible, and you can see where there's longer ones, it's because there's longer chapters, more verses. So you see all of these, those are along the bottom. Do you know what all of those colored arcing lines are? That is when one chapter in the Bible makes a reference to something else in another chapter of the Bible. Do any of you have a Bible that has like cross references in it? And you've been like, what is that about? What, why is, I mean, I'm reading something in Matthew and it's like giving me a reference to Jeremiah, something or other. That's one of these lines, one of these lines. There are in the New Testament alone, 300 direct quotations from the Old Testament, many other kind of half quotations, kind of paraphrases and tons of other themes and imagery that are alluding to them beyond that. There's constantly, the Bible's constantly referring back on itself constantly. It's so complex. It's so dense. There's so many themes being referred to from so many different angles that, that you need to read that slowly because when you're reading something in Luke, for example, or Matthew, it, it's pointing at something in Jesus that is being fulfilled, say, from something in Isaiah, and then something in Isaiah is pointing you to something that later it gets referred to in Revelation, and then it's pointing at something that happened in Genesis, and then you're on this like rabbit trail for like six hours trying to follow it. It doesn't end. It just keeps looping back on itself. This is how densely packed the scriptures are. And so it requires us not to drop everything else in our lives, but it might require us to reorder some things in our lives so we can have time daily to learn to slowly meditate on the scriptures. And so meditation, we talked about this last week uh, from Psalm 1. The person who is full of life, the person who is uh, prosperous and fruitful is the one who is meditating on the word of God day and night. They are slowly, little bits and pieces, maybe a handful of verses at a time, or one verse that just you can't get away from. And you just chew on it, and you chew on it. 
that description of, of meditating is referring to like a cow chewing on a piece of grass and it's chewing over and over to get all of the nutrients out and chew and chew and chew and chew and chew and this is not the Twitter version that I was hoping for and chew, right? It, it just keeps, there's so much depth there. And so we're being invited into reading small little passages of scripture. Don't read giant amounts. Don't read giant amounts in one day. You can kind of do that real quick if you want to get the gist of something and, and read a whole book maybe. But like you're really going to get deep into what God wants you to find in the scriptures when you slow way down. And it's not qua- uh, quantity or, or even quality. It's regularity. Every day, coming back, coming back, coming back. You have five minutes, take five minutes, read three verses, meditate on it. God, what are you saying to me? Is this narrative? How does this fit into your story? It's poetry, what is the symbolism about? God, what are you trying to say to me through this speech, this essay, this prose discourse? How is this feeding back onto my life? And, and that's really ultimately what the meditation of the scriptures is about. I had one, one person said this, uh, we do not read the Bible, the Bible reads us. And this is so true. You begin to read the Bible. I heard someone on a podcast this morning, they were referring to Psalm 106 and how God did all these things for Israel. And then uh, it just says this, but they forgot everything God did for them and they went their own way. And this podcast host just commented to them uh, to themselves when they were reading this for themselves. They just said, man, how often do I forget? And that is exactly how we should approach the text. When we read it, it's actually reading us. When, when we read about these dysfunctional families like uh, Abram kind of forcing, uh, not kind of, forcing uh, Sarai's uh, maid to sleep with him because maybe that's how we're going to have the heir and offspring. You shouldn't read that and be like, I guess God was okay with that. No, you should read that and be like, that's messed up. How often, though, do I impose my will on other people thinking this is the will of God? the Bible begins to read us. And so we meditate daily. God, what are you doing in this? What are you doing in me in this? How is this speaking to me? And so the key question we need to ask with everything we're reading, not, not just, um, you know, how does this fit into the story of Jesus? Not just what kind of literature am I reading? But the key question we need to ask too is, am I meditating on his word day and night? Am I doing this day and night? Do I have regularity? And am, am I coming with hunger and humility to the text? Am I expecting God to meet me and invite me into something? And am I coming humbly, not with someone who's got the text figured out, but is letting it slowly unravel in my life? Because the truth is, this is about a lifetime of learning how to read, how to meditate, how to be with God and have history with God. So three insights, just to recap. The Bible is one big story. It's all about Jesus Two, there are multiple kinds of types of literature that are weaving together and we need to know what kind we're reading so we know how to understand and talk about what's, what's being done. And then finally, this is ancient Jewish meditation literature, which means it's meant to be read slowly, prayerfully, thoughtfully, seeing how different places across the scriptures are connecting so we get this full picture and this full meaning of what God is saying to us and we're letting it shape and inform our lives as we're hungry and humble. Just want to give you four resources. If you can go to the next slide as we close, um, 
Team, you can, you can come up. We're going to close after this. Um, four great resources. If you're like, I need more. I have more questions. I want to know more. Uh, I'm going to invite you into uh, some deeper stuff if you want to know more. The best kind of, I'll say it's entry level, but it actually gets really deep. And, but it's so helpful and so accessible is going to the Bible Project. Some of you might be familiar with the Bible Project. But the BibleProject.org, it's everything. Every one of their resources is completely free. They also have a YouTube page with all these like videos. They're almost like infographic videos, but they're animated. They're incredibly well done. Talking about different biblical books, different themes. You can get an overview of each book of the Bible. It's amazing. But they also recently put out an app, and the app has the whole Bible on it. And they actually teach you how to identify patterns. And oh, this is referencing something from another place. And they, they're teaching people how to identify and read the Bible and find these themes. So grab that. It's an amazing resource. Uh, another one's called 30, uh, 30 Days to Understanding the Bible by Max Anders. We did the, the class based on that book last year here at the church. It was really helpful for people. Pick up that book. And then two, if you want to like dive really deep, they're a little more dense, a little academic. Um, how to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Douglas Stewart and Gordon Fee. And the final one is Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. Uh, by Brandon O'Brien and E. Richards. And those two are, are just to kind of help you uh, get a better sense on who the original writers were, who the original audience was, how to really grasp like what different things meant for the people at that time because they might mean very different things to us than it did for them. Why don't you stand and, and we're gonna uh, take communion and, and we're gonna worship. Sometimes th this can feel like a fire hose when it's very instructional like that. You just open it up, try and drink from the fire hose as best you can because it's coming. Um, so it can feel a little overwhelming sometimes. Yes, if you need communion, put your hand up uh, or if you want to grab it from the back. Thanks, Paul. I hope that you walk away from today feeling like there's an invitation to understand more in the Bible than you ever thought you could. I hope you have some tools now, some kind of handholds so that this does not feel overwhelming, but you understand this is part of something broader and bigger. And I pray more than anything else that Jesus would do for you and I just what he did for the disciples, that he would open your minds to understand the scriptures. Because that's ultimately what this is, is. We need to meet and encounter Jesus the risen Jesus, so that we can have our minds open to understand the scriptures. And it's the risen Jesus that we remember when we take communion. We remember his body that was broken for us, pierced for us, and he bore our sins in his body. The massive part of this story that we say we live. Take and eat, remembering the story that you not only the, the body, but there's also the blood. And Jesus himself, when he said, he, when he drank this, he said, I'm not going to drink this again until I drink it new with you in my kingdom. There's something about this that when we drink it, we were remembering that this work and this story is not finished yet. That Jesus will return and that there will be a new heaven and a
It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org. Thank you.